Praise the Lord. That's what I want to talk about tonight. I want to talk about have faith. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. How many think it's important to have faith in God? Amen. It is important to have faith in God. Um, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12. It says this. The next day, as they, talking about Jesus and his disciples, were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And this next verse is where I get the thought tonight from the verse, from, from the title of this message. Verse 22 says, Have faith in God. Jesus answered, Have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believing that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Amen. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. This whole chapter, really, the chapter before and after it are really good too. I want to encourage you to, to dig into that in your own time. But just before this passage, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem was what took place and people declared him as kings. They were waving palm branches and laying their cloaks in the road and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were rejoicing and crying out, Hosanna. You've heard, you've heard messages. I preached about it, especially around Easter time when we've had, when we, when we reminisce about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on the donkey and, and, and which was a state of a kingship. They were identifying him as king. They were declaring him as king. 
And they encountered this fig tree that has all the signs that there is fruit on the tree. He was hungry. He saw a tree that was leafed out. But Jesus cursed the tree because it was falsely advertising that it had fruit. It's almost like, look at me. I've got fruit. I'm ready to, to, to feed you. And he goes to the tree and there's nothing on it. It looks like a tree that's in bloom and has fruit and you go there and there's nothing on it. He cursed the tree because it was falsely advertising that he had fruit. And, and one uh, story I heard uh, from a little... Uh, I, I, it wasn't personal to me, the story wasn't, but I heard, uh, heard of a story of a little boy heard this story in Sunday school class and the teacher was wanting to know, you know, what was the meaning of the story. And one little boy says, don't get in Jesus's way when he's hungry. Uh, um, but the barren tree really was an example of the nation of Israel and how spiritually barren this nation had become. They knew all the right words to say. They knew the right actions to take, but their hearts were far from God. They were going through all the right motions. They were saying the right things, but their hearts were far from God. In verse 15, it says, So Jesus curses, he curses the fig tree, and then he and his disciples make their way to the temple. Jesus is incensed and he's angry that the whole purpose for the temple for the temple courts, the, which is the entrance plaza, had been made into a commercial marketplace. They were, they were buying, there were merchants there who were greedy and charging exorbitant prices for people who were traveling to go there to offer sacrifices. They were selling their wares, selling animals that they could make money from and, and sacrificing before they would go into the temple. But the problem was, is the, the location where they were. It's okay for all that to happen somewhere else. But what Jesus said, he said, um, he said, this, you know, the holy place has been defiled. And Jesus declared in verse 17, he said, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? Which was a direct quote from Isaiah 56 and 7. You see, the, gen, the Gentiles were allowed to be in the area where they were buying and selling. They were allowed to go there. They were allowed to, um, to, to, to be in that area. That's really as far as they were allowed to travel. They couldn't go further than that. But because of the commercialism and this exploitation of the, the, the people by the merchants and really the leadership of the, pre, of, the, of the temple, the Gentiles couldn't even get to the place where they could go as far as they could go to pray. And they were shut out. They couldn't even get to where they should be to get as close to the Lord as they could. There was no room for them. And in verse 19, they left. And went back along the path they had followed. And when they came, when they, uh, uh, when they came to the city, uh, in verse twenty, it said, "In the morning, as they went along, Jesus saw the, the they saw the fig tree withered from the roots." And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, "Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered." And then Jesus said, "Have faith in God." This was really a powerful moment of teaching for the disciples, not only for them but for us as well. The fig tree is withered. And they marveled that the fig tree which was cursed was withered. And that 
it did what Jesus told it to do. And then he said, have faith in God. What's the example we can learn from this? In the past few days, they had witnessed the exhilaration of the triumphal entry where people were shouting Hosanna and then the disgust of the attitude toward the house of prayer. I believe there was a wide range of emotions there. You had the people that were exclaiming Hosanna to the King of Kings and you had people who were dishonoring the house of God. You had it way to this end and you had it way to this end. Broad spectrum sandwiched in between all of this story was this fig tree. It's in this kind of environment that this fig tree garnered the attention of Jesus and the disciples as it was as it was withered and it died. Is this world that we see, in this world that we see, there are people at both ends of the spectrum. There are people that are hyper-religious. They seem like they've got everything all together and that they're followers of Jesus Christ. And some really are. They're true and they're heartfelt and they worship the Lord. And then there's others on the end of the spectrum that they just barely even maybe believe in God, but they identify with the church a little bit. There's a lot of people going through the motions of religion and they are living apart from God. They've allowed themselves to go from one end of the spectrum all the way to the other end of the spectrum. But I really think that this summarizes how our world is today. You can go and get all kinds of different beliefs, different philosophies, different doctrines, if you will. And in the middle of whatever is around, Jesus says, have faith in God. The mountaintop experience and the valley experience and everything in between, the lesson is really have faith in God. In spite of the barrenness and the emptiness and the lack of attention to prayer, Jesus reminds us that we have to have faith in God. We have to have really that fig tree faith. Boy, you say that fast three times. Fig tree faith that reinforces that I will not allow my attention to be drawn to the false advertisers of expectation. This fig tree was advertising that it had something that it didn't have. And it was just saying, come look at me. Just like the fig tree drew Jesus' attention, saying that, and, and Jesus said, well, no one else is going to eat from you ever again. You're not going to trick anybody else. We must have the faith in God that says the same. I'm not going to allow my faith to be in anything else but the one true God. In verse 33, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt with their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. That's a powerful verse. A lot of people have taken that verse and, and they, have, they have built a, a belief in what God can do. The faith that Jesus is talking about here is, is that steadfast and that sure faith that allows the believer to face any kind of impossibilities and know that that impossibility will be removed by the power of God. There is an impossibility that comes in your life, a situation that is too big for you. You can't do anything about it. You don't know how to deal with it. But the God of heaven and earth, the one that Jesus said, have faith in God, is the one that says, I can take that mountain and move it and cast it aside. All you have to do is have faith in God. 
have faith in God. Well, I just don't know. I've had some things that have happened and I thought I had faith in God, but then I question my faith sometimes. How many know that you can question your faith? You can question things that happen to you and you wonder, am I really on the right track? And, and, and the devil tries to do his best to make you think, well, is your faith really as solid as you think it is? And all you have to do is just tell him, devil, I'm not going to listen to you because my faith is based on the Word of God and my belief in Jesus Christ and I am not going to listen to the stuff that you're putting in my mind. Regardless of whether I see him do anything else again, I know that I'm going to have faith in God. No one has the power to cause a fig tree to wither or a mountain to be moved, but when Jesus says, have faith in God, take notice. Things that can get in the way of what God wants to do in your life will have to be cast aside and they will have to wither and die. And that's exactly why the devil doesn't want you to realize that you need a consistent, steadfast faith in God. Not just to run to God and believe Him when some crisis comes along. We need to do that. But we need to have faith in God in the good times and in the bad times, in the morning time, in the noon time, in the evening time, when we're going to bed at night, when we're walking around in our daily lives. Let the faith of God rise up in our hearts and remind ourselves who who we are in Jesus Christ. Verse 24 says, Therefore I tell you, Jesus says, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. That's a pretty solid promise right there. If you believe in your heart, it will. Before we should believe for a mountain to be moved, though, we have to make sure that we are in the will of God. You can pray something until you're blue in the face, but if it is a prayer that is against what God wants in your life, it is not a prayer that He's going to answer. He's not going to answer it the way you want Him to answer it. You have to have faith in God, yes, but having faith in God and having presumption in God are two different things. The faith in God says, Lord, I trust you completely and fully to do everything that you need to do in my life, and I'm going to trust you for whatever that is. The presumption in God says, Lord, this is what I want you to do. And I want you to do this, and I want you to do that. Well, if what you want to have happen in your life is what God wants to have happen in your life, then there's a matching up of wills. And, and we've said, Lord, not my will, but yours. And yes, I want it to happen. But if I'm believing you for something that I'm not sure of or something that I don't even know if, if, if it's what you want me to have, I'm not going to pray for it. I'm going to pray, Lord, not my will, but your will. But I'm going to have faith in God. We have to ask according to his will. Well, how do we know what His will is? Well, the Bible says that we have to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. That is our reasonable act of worship. That is our reasonable service to the Lord. That's how we do that. We present ourselves to Him. We say, Lord, just do with me whatever you want. I want to be like clay in your hands. I want you to mold me and shape me into what you want me to be. He may instruct us sometimes to climb the mountain. 
while other mountains might just be cast into the sea. How many know that you can go through learning experiences when you're going through life and you have to go through stuff? And if every challenge that we had that come up, we just say, I'm just going to have faith in God and it's just going to move out of the way. Well, there may be some challenges that he doesn't necessarily want to move. Mm -hmm. You look at the disciples when he told them to go across the Sea of Galilee. He didn't send them into the storm, but he knew the storm was going to happen. He knew it was a possibility. He knew it. Actually, he knew it was going to happen. They probably knew it was a possibility, but they get out there. Well, why in the world? Why in the world did he just cause the storm not to happen? That Sea of Galilee was famous for storms that just come up out of nowhere. Kind of like Oklahoma, you know, storms that just come up out of nowhere. Just, you know, blue skies one minute and the next minute you got 50 mile an hour winds. It just happens. And they go and they go on the Sea of Galilee and he didn't prevent the storm from happening. But he rescued them from the storm when it became overwhelming. Faith is not something that we create. How many know that you cannot create faith? You can't create faith. We don't create faith. But faith is given to us by God. Faith is given to us by God. And Romans 12, 3 says that we have, been, we have all been given the measure of faith. We've all been given the measure of faith. Well, how much faith do I get? How much faith do you get? You get the right amount. You get the right amount. Anybody ever know a country cook where they don't measure anything and they just a pinch of this and a pinch of that? Remember when I was a kid, I was about 14 years old, maybe 13. Anyway, uh, back in the days before the internet, um, we had these phones that had cords on them and uh, they plugged into the wall and you would actually, well, we didn't have, I remember rotary dial, but we didn't have to, we pushed button down. And I called my grandma one day because my grandma would make chocolate gravy. And I love chocolate gravy. My kids love chocolate. My kids love chocolate gravy. And uh, I know those people from the North, it just sounds like something that is from outer space. Um, but it is, um, <laughs> Chocolate gravy is kind of like a warm chocolate pudding, and you, it, it's sweet, and you have uh, you put lots of butter in it, and you pour, you crumble your biscuits up, and you put it over that. Boy, I have a I just have a hankering for chocolate gravy right now. I should talk about food on Wednesday nights because I don't eat. We don't eat until after church. Um, but anyway, I can remember calling Grandma up, and I said, "I think I've got the stuff here to make chocolate gravy, but I've never done it." How much of this do you put in? And uh, she said, well, you put some flour and you put some sugar and some salt. And I said, well, how much flour and some cocoa? I said, well, how much flour do you use? And she said, well, probably about two tablespoons. And okay, two tablespoons, I can remember that. And then uh, how much cocoa? Well, probably about the same amount. How much salt? Just a dash. Just a dash of salt. And um, 
And she told me, how, and I still, that's been, my goodness, it's been how many years ago? <laughs> my goodness, almost 40 years ago. And I can still remember it. That's just been more than 40 years ago. And I can still remember it. And I, I can still remember her telling me that as I'm making it at home. And that's what I use when I made it for the kids. Uh, and that she doesn't like chocolate gravy, but um, I, I don't know. But, it, but it's pretty good. But nevertheless, when I've seen her cook, she does this. She doesn't measure anything. She just puts this in and puts that in, and, and there it is. And I kind of have some of that, you know, just a pinch of this. And if it tastes, mm -hmm. tastes all right, then it's good. Now, it might not taste the same ever again because you, that one combination. But how much is the right amount? The right amount for whatever recipe is being used. Whatever you're making is the right amount. And God's in the same way. He's like, well, I'm not going to give you a cup and you a cup and you a cup. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you what exactly you need. I'm going to give you what exactly you need. Give you exactly what you need. And that's the way he works. He gives us the measure of faith so that we can use that faith. Our prayer doesn't need to be, Lord, give me more faith. Now, there is a gift of faith that the Lord gives us for moving things that are just so over the top of what most people have to deal with. There is a gift of faith, but I'm talking about the measure of faith that we all have. The measure of faith that we all have. We just need to have the faith in God and put the faith to the test. Now before church tonight, I was, I was, I got the, the sax out and I was playing a little bit on there. I hadn't played it in a long time. And, and I could only make it through a couple of songs and, uh, and, and it takes a lot out of these muscles right here. And, you know, Back in my heyday, I could play for an hour, and it was no big deal. But I could probably play for five minutes right now because I haven't used these muscles. But once I start using the muscles, then you get the strength back. And that's really what we need to do with our faith in God. We need to trust Him for the small things. Trust Him for the big things. Trust Him for the in-between things. And it doesn't matter who's around us, whether there's people that seem like they're just exhilarating in their faith and other people that seem like they don't even show that they've got any faith at all. Somewhere in the middle of all of that, we've got the measure of faith that we need to use and we need to exercise and we need to make it count for the kingdom of God and for the glory that He wants to bring to our lives. So put your faith to, the, to, the, to use and have faith in God. How many know that you are not responsible for God's timing? You're not responsible for God's timing of the answer to prayer. Lord, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen. And I know for a fact that God has a sense of humor. He absolutely does. I've heard too many stories and I've seen it myself where, you know, um, God would answer in a certain way. I've told a story before now. If I, if I try to tell the whole story, I'll get something wrong. And, and uh, Annette, will, Annette will tell me that I had something that may not have been just correct. And I, I don't like being inaccurate. But she's better at remembering a lot of the details than I am. But I remember when we were going through a rough time and, and we were down to one car and I needed a, we needed another vehicle. We didn't have money. Couldn't afford to buy a car. And through a series of events, we got a vehicle given to us. 
given to us. And it was like it never even entered our mind. We needed a vehicle. We trusted the Lord that we could have a vehicle, but we had no idea. We didn't have any funds. We didn't have any resources. And we drove that vehicle until we actually came to be your pastors at this church. And then we ended up, because the church had another vehicle we could drive at the time, we ended up giving that vehicle to someone else and blessing them. Um, but the thing is, is we're not responsible for his timing. We're not responsible for the answer. We're only responsible to trust him and to have faith in him and to put our faith in him and, and ask according to his will and his purpose. And then we, we continue to trust him fully and completely. Why is it that we have testimony service or we have people who will ask for somebody to share something that the Lord has done? Because it builds your faith. It builds my faith. When you hear about something that God has done, builds my faith to know that, that you were in a car wreck not too long ago and, and the hand of God somehow intervened and protected you right where you were and your vehicle was awful. But you came out and you're going to be just fine. Amen. It's a miracle of God. We trust the Lord every time we wake up in the morning. We walk in faith. We say, Lord, I trust you that I'm going to get to where I'm going. And we have faith in God. We, we trust Him for those kinds of things that may seem like they're not active faith. That we're just not praying for and praying for. But when our life is a testimony there, it's a measure of our faith showing out. To other people. Many years ago, people would take Mark 11, 23 and 24, and they would determine that they can have faith in God and believe for whatever they want. I've heard a song written about Mark 11, 23 and Mark 11, 24. Have faith in God. Name it and claim it. Blab it and grab it. And, and, and whatever, whatever I want, I can have. And the Bible says I can pray for it and I can get it. And that's what it says. But I like to draw your attention to verse 25, which starts with and. And. Everybody say and. And. How many know that because of conjunction, junction, what's that function? We remember that, that and connects words and phrases and clauses and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Schoolhouse Rock did a number on me, I'm telling you. Um, But God's promises are unconditional. We would be doing a disservice to the scripture if we did not include verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. That's a biggie right there. Oh, well, maybe God will overlook it. I'm just going to believe him. No, you can't have faith in God and harbor unforgiveness toward anybody else. I touched on this a little bit on Sunday during communion. No Christian can expect to have faith in God and believe that he will hear them if they secretly have bitterness in their hearts against anyone else. It's just not going to work. Remember from the Lord's Prayer when Jesus was teaching his disciples, 
He said this in Matthew 6, 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's pretty blunt. We must have faith in God for forgiveness from our sins, but also to allow us to forgive other people. He has forgiven me so much. There was a comment made one time about someone in the Bible who had been forgiven of a lot of sins and someone who hadn't forgiven, who had been forgiven for a smaller offense. And the question was put, well, who do you think loved the master more? The more that, the more that had been forgiven because they knew a lot more have been dealt with and taken care of. Now, it doesn't mean that we can't be grateful for what everything God has done because any sin, any sin separates us from God. But there is a keeping power by having faith in God. But we say, Lord, I thank you that I'm having faith in you to keep me in the right mindset and in the right frame of reference as I live my life. I don't want to harbor bitterness and anxiety and frustration against anybody else. You've forgiven me from so much. How can I not forgive somebody else? Have faith in God. Again, both for the forgiveness of your sins and others' offenses against you. Have faith in God for moving the mountains that stand in the way of God's plans for your life. When there's mountains that you face, they will stand only as long as your faith doesn't allow them to be dealt with. When you stand in your faith, then the Lord's going to deal with them. He's going to help you deal with them. And it may be that we cast this aside and we cast it away. And we say, Lord, I am not going to deal with this anymore. I turn it over to you. It may be a mountain of sickness, a mountain of despair, a mountain of anxiety or depression or hurt or pain or discouragement. But we must not ever give up. We must have faith in God. I remember when our kids were young. And um, I remember one time at church, uh, we had a pretty high platform and I can't remember if it was Nick or Natalie. I, I think it was Natalie. Would run, you know, would run to the edge of the platform and say, catch me, Daddy, and jump. And I would catch her. And there was one time she did that. I mean, I just happened to be standing close by. She's like, catch me, Daddy, and she'd run off. There was one time where I... I thought I wasn't going to get to her in time because she just leapt out in so much faith. She didn't wait to say, okay, I'm ready, go ahead. She just said, catch me, Daddy, and just jumped. 
And I ran to get her. Because I knew she had faith in me. There is a faith that we can have that is so childlike. And we just go back to basics. Lord, you've given me the measure of faith. I trusted you for salvation. I trusted you with my life. I've trusted you with decisions that I've made. I've trusted, I've trusted you with all kinds of things. And we just need to be reminded to continue to have faith in God. Have faith in God. Because faith in God can move mighty mountains. Faith in God will cause answers to come. Faith in God will cause discouragement to leave. Why is it important? It's important because if you allow the mountain to stay there, to stay there without addressing it, it's just going to be a mountain of gloom and darkness, and it'll be something that is oppressive. I, I remember my cousin Malcolm, who lived in Colorado. We're, about, we're the same age, and I was about 10 years old, and I visited... My dad and I flew, the first time I'd ever flown, to Colorado. And we flew to Denver, then we flew to Aspen, and then we had to drive to where they lived, which was in Snowmass, Colorado. And I'd never seen mountains before in my life, but I saw mountains in Colorado. And um, the thing that I remember is that they lived across the street across the road from this mountain. And uh, they told me something. They said, well, the sunlight doesn't actually hit our house until about 10 o'clock in the morning because it has to climb up over the mountain first. And I've never forgotten that. And I thought, what if that mountain is right there? It's preventing what is on the other side from you being able to get to and you just see it and you think I can't climb that he may not want you to climb it if it's a mountain he wants you to scale he'll give you the equipment he'll give you the necessary things and you'll be able to to get over that sucker but if it's something that 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 you know it's like you know God I trust you for this mountain to be moved I'm going to have faith in you. I'm going to continue to have faith. I'm going to continue to have faith. I'm going to speak to this mountain. I'm not going to listen to you. And the Bible says that we have faith in God according to his will can be cast aside. And then we can get on to the next thing. Why are the mountains there? Because the devil doesn't want you, doesn't want you to find out or figure out the next thing that God wants you to do. That's exactly what it is. He puts these things in your path to say, you know, I want you to deal with the mountain. And as long as the mountain's there, you're never able to see the sun. I mean, they saw the sun at 10 o'clock, but you're right there. I want you to do something for me. I want you to, to uh, you, have a, you have a piece of paper or a, a Bible that's handy there. I want you to hold it out at arm's length like this. Hold something out in front of you at arm's length in front of your face like that. Now you can see everybody in this room. Okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to bring it closer and put it 
about three inches from your face. And now what you can see is mostly just this. That's all you can see. You can't really see what is on the other side. Somebody could, you could hold this up like this and somebody could walk up and you'd never even see them because they're behind this. You don't even know what's on the other side of that because it's blocking your vision. Well, that's another message I could preach right there, but I'm not going to. Have faith in God. The mountain has blocked your vision long enough. It has. Have faith in God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in each one of our lives. I pray, God, that we will have faith in you. Lord, we know that we've been given the measure of faith. We know there's nothing you can't do. We know that these mountains will not stand when we pray according to your will. You give us the direction. You give us the release. You give us the victory over every situation. We thank you, God, that because you have given us that power, you've given us that authority, that, Lord, we will see great things happen for you and for your kingdom in each one of our lives. I thank you for it. I praise you for it right now in the holy name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I praise you. I praise you right now, Jesus. I praise you.